You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 245 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Gina Militia. How are you, Gina? What's happening in Gina world? I'm going good, Val. How are you going? I'm good. I'm good. I'm a bit excited today, actually. Yeah? What's going on? I I um, poured myself my Earl Grey tea mm. this morning. and Wait, um, what Earl Grey? Oh, it's not my favourite. It's okay, got, I don't know why. It's actually not many people's favourites. You didn't want to know I'm why. Not sure. It's got a perfume no. to it. it. Well, most teas no, no, do. Not English breakfast, Val. That's a pure tea okay. without any fragrant r- fragrance All right. to it. So, everyone, this isn't so you want to drink um, different types of tea. This is so you want to be a photographer. And uh, one of the reasons that I'm a bit excited today is as I was sipping my Earl Grey tea, reading the weekend newspapers, I opened the colour magazine in the Daily Telegraph, which is the home magazine, and I'm flipping through and there is a double page spread and they have featured two photos of my artwork. That's amazing. Pretty exciting. That's so cool. So cool. So very excited and also... it. You know, and of course, good photography is important if you want to get ex- if you want it to be published. Yeah. Uh, if you want to get um, exposure in the media, and so I am. And tomorrow, actually, Gina, yeah. um, I have more artwork to photograph. So I will be setting up my new lights, my Manfrotto, my Canon. Um, and uh, revisiting the tutorial, your tutorials in the Gold Community and also the episode that we've done on how to photograph artwork. And I will be setting up my little mini setup, mini studio. It's not really a studio, it's just my lounge room. And photographing more art and hopefully it will appear in more newspapers. You, so I have to thank you, you for all your tips. You've got no idea how happy that makes me, Val, to, to know that you're using these techniques and you're actually happy with them and you're following along and it all makes sense and I'm also saving you a bucket. And I think, do you get free membership oh, of the Gold Community? I think you do, Val. <laughs> so that's another plus as well. Uh, but that's that's amazing. Yes, very, very, very uh, exciting. And there's obviously a wealth of information in the gold community. And if you are wondering what that is, have a listen to this. Hey guys, are you an enthusiast or pro photographer who wants to take their photography to the next level? I'd love the opportunity to work with you and I want to introduce you to my Gold Community. The Gold Community is an educational resource where members get access to photography courses and regular tutorials. There's over 200 tutorials with more being added each month. 
In these tutorials, I take you on set with me and I share my thought process behind scouting locations, posing and directing models, lighting and post-production. You get to see the entire shoot from start to finish, from surface in Sri Lanka using a single speed light to character portraits on the streets of Sicily using daylight or high-end studio shoots where I share all my posing and connecting hacks. There's also regular photo critiques, monthly live calls and heaps more. As a member, you'll also have access to my exclusive Facebook group and online forum where you'll be able to connect with other members from all over the world. So what are you waiting for? Join the Goal community today and start taking the kind of photos you've always dreamed of. You can check it out at ginamilitia.com. All right, let's plunge straight into this week's topic, which I absolutely love (laughs) because, as you know, I'm a big animal lover. Uh, This week's topic is how to break into commercial animal photography with our guest, Jamie Piper. So tell us about Jamie. Yeah, Jamie Piper is a US-based commercial photographer and she specialises in animal photography. So chances are that you may have already seen her amazing work in uh, magazines or, you know, pet food packaging or online. And here's the thing. Even if animal photography is not your thing, you're going to learn a tonne. In this episode, it is a masterclass in commercial photography and we hit it off. In fact, I'm just warning you, this is a long episode, so you might want to uh, split it over to a couple of commutes. uh, So you've got like bonus content, but there is so like Jamie knows her stuff inside and out and uh, she's going to break down the, the, the the difference between commercial and portrait photography in the terms of the look and the shoot and pricing. And she goes into uh, uh, how to price commercially and also uh, the biggest mistakes that photographers make when entering this genre. And she talks about what she would do if she was starting out today. She talks about how to pitch the importance of playing the long game. Uh, there are there is so many like so much detail in terms of breaking into the commercial industry, and then she walks us through in the second part of the episode. She walks us through uh, how to plan and organise a shoot, and all the other factors to consider. And there is uh, some amazing content at the end on how she communicates with animals. Uh, It's uh, fantastic. So uh, let's have a listen. Jamie Piper, welcome to the show. How are you going? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, Gina. I appreciate it. It's great to chat to you. Uh, Just before we start, where in the world are you? I am in beautiful San Diego, California, United States of America. Oh, I haven't got to San Diego yet. I really do. I really want to get there. So uh, is it cold there at the moment? You guys have been having a bit of a, a colder sort of winter than normally. Is that right? Yeah, well, you know, it's amazing. San Diego is supposed to have the finest weather in the country, mm. but we've had almost nothing but rain for the last two months. Um, but the last few days have been beautiful, so sunny and starting to get a little bit warmer. Um, and I think you would love it because I 
I have yet to be to Australia, but I think it's probably kind of sort of similar in terms of like look and feel and climate with lots really? of pretty yeah, I've beaches and there. oceans and, you know, palm trees. And it's wonderful. I love it. I love living here. Fantastic. So you are a commercial pet photographer, right? That's what Correct. you specialize in. And so Correct. there's a lot of stuff that I want to um, talk with you about today, but um Firstly, I want you to just define what the difference is between commercial photography and portrait photography in terms of, like it's threefold this question, how commercial photography is different in look to portrait photography, how a shoot might look different to a portrait photography shoot and uh, how the pricing structure differs. Oh yes! Oh my goodness! Where do I start? Big How question, much time do we have to start with? <laughs> it is big, big question. Um, so, um, oh gosh. Okay, so the differences. There's so many. Yeah. Um, I would say there are more differences than similarities. Mm-hmm. You know, the main similarity is really just the subject matter. Um, uh, I can talk about. I actually wrote an article on, uh, in my opinion what the differences are between a commercial photo and a portrait photo. Um, so commercial, commercial, I, I call it commercial animal photography because that's kind of the terminology that's used in the industry. You don't often see the term commercial pet photography um, because I think a lot of uh, commercial photographers that photograph dogs and cats, which are pets or rabbits for that matter, also may photograph goats or livestock or whatever kind of animal for a commercial client. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's why the term animal photographer is used more in the commercial f- photography industry than pet photographer. Um, <clears throat> so, and then a, a, when I think of the term pet photographer, I think of someone who's primarily shooting or exclusively shooting for a private or retail client. So a dog or cat owner, for example. Right. Um, so, um, I can talk about what the differences would be between a pet photography photo yes. and a commercial photography photo. I can also talk about how the shoots are different, which is a much more complicated um, subject. But I would love to just walk through kind of what each of them looks like. Yep. Um, and then and then I can talk about pricing um, and sort of how the how the, uh, I guess the kind of the fees and the inclusions are, um, set up and presented, um, and what the, what the key differences are there because they are very, very different, yep. um, just based on who's commissioning that type of photography. All right. So let's start with the look. And then, so, you know, hopefully at the end of this explanation, we can look through images and go, oh, well, that's a commercial animal photography shoot, whereas that is uh, obviously a portrait pet photography shoot. So what are the differences? Yeah. So again, these are my opinions. Mm. And, you know, when it comes to a subject as broad as commercial photography, ask 10 different people their opinion on something, you'll get 10 different answers. And there, there are so many different styles of commercial photography so these are very general and uh, very subjective um, kind of definitions or differences between them. Um, so with with a pet 
photo, like a or or a portrait photo, or pet portrait photo. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that is being made for the owner of that animal. Um, generally, they want a photograph that really connects with them emotionally. Uh, and so oftentimes you'll find the photos are of the dog or cat looking into the camera, especially if it's a dog. Right. So a dog is looking straight into the camera, making eye contact. And then when that photograph is printed on an art piece that goes on the client's wall, um, it really engages with them and touches them. And I hate to say this, but long after the pet has passed away, that remains their source of connection to this animal that they loved so much. Yeah. And when you have that eye contact, even though it's with an animal, there's something really special and magical about that. Yeah. Um, so that's a big part of the portrait photo is that emotional connection between the owner and their specific pet. Um, now with commercial photos, you'll find that a lot of um, an animal photos, pet photos, dogs, cats, doesn't matter, they're looking away from the camera and they're engaged in some sort of behavior that doesn't direct their focus straight into the camera. So that's one big key difference that, that I look for is I, I personally spend less time trying to get the animal to look into the camera um, and more time doing other things I'm about to talk about. Um, so it's the first thing. The, the second difference that I see is um, in a portrait photo for a pet owner, the backgrounds often contain details and the environment may be important to the shot. So maybe the, um, I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head. Um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank here. I'm literally trying to visualize something and nothing is coming to me. So we take a photo of little Fido, our, our dog in front of Fido's favorite uh, city street. And the detail will be, we'll see all the shops in the background and every single right. detail. So it's a crowded, like, so that would be a character portrait of Fido where the background supports um, what we're trying to say, this is Fido's favorite spot. It was meaningful to the owner. Would it be something like that? Absolutely. Mm. Perfect example. So the environment is a key player in that photograph. Yep. And the photograph would not be the same without being in that environment. And it needs to um, be sort of um, area specific. So you could identify that location as, say, being Fido in the city of Melbourne, which is important to the owners because they live in the city of Melbourne. That's where Fido grew up. That's where they walked Fido. And that's very important to identify exactly. that city. Perfect, perfect example. And oftentimes the pet owner will specifically request locations that have a deeper meaning to them other than let's just go to a park somewhere. Yep. You know, they're, they're looking specifically for things that they, um, locations where they share specific activities or they have certain memories that they share being, you know, time they spent there together. Um, so it's very, very common in a, in a pet photo session to have the environment be a really important and meaningful part of that, that photograph and the end results. Um, in a commercial photo, because oftentimes clients need and look for um, good negative space in the photo where they can overlay ad copy or text, if you will, mm. the backgrounds are usually much simpler in, in, in any commercial photo. They don't have the busy backgrounds with a lot of detail because those don't lend themselves well to being uh, flexible in terms of use. 
Um, this is especially important for clients who aren't really sure exactly what they'll use every single photograph for. So I've done a lot of shoots before where we're not, um, we may have a loose shot list, but we're not setting up each, each um, scene or shot to create one very specific frame that has to look you know, a, a certain way um, that would might be more for like a package packaging right. cover that has to be, you know, certain kind of format and the, the certain negative space. And we really, we really diagram it out. So it's perfect before we even shoot it. Um, so um, because the client might not know exactly what they want to use the photo for, they need a photo that's going to be very flexible in terms of use. So Which that includes... shot of Fido, the uh, pet, uh, the animal model, right, the, the the top dog in the country, will be possibly seen on a billboard. That image it could end up on the packaging of Fido treats, and it could also be a banner on a website, right? Correct. So you're trying Correct. to cover. So when you're doing that shot, um, are you are you shooting looser? so that it can be, uh, it will scale on all those different formats? I'm so glad that you mentioned that because that's something that I noticed that I I didn't do intentionally, but when mm. I started doing more and more commercial work and less and less you know, retail client work, I noticed that I was reminding myself if I was shooting with a prime lens, I was reminding myself to back up. Yep over and over and over again, back up, back up, back up to create more negative space that the client could use so that the pet isn't filling the entire frame. And you learn that probably by making the mistake of, you know, a few shoots, shoots earlier. I know I've, I, I did this early on where you do the shoot, pat yourself on the back, just say, God, I'm good at this. And then you get a call from the client a few days later going, yeah, that's, we love that shot. So we need, um, can you can you send us a few more frames that's uh, got more headroom and uh, mm -hmm. also some more space to the left? And you don't have mm -hmm. them. Right. Yeah. yeah been there. Been uh, yeah. there done that. Yeah. I, I did that for an entire packaging shoot once where they discovered they didn't have the negative space they needed for any of the packages. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that wasn't my fault. It was it very, I mean, it was a complicated, messy situation. I wasn't given the information that I needed on new packaging specs that had just come out. Um, but it was a very serious problem because you, once you have the photo, I mean, yeah, you can clone out and you can hmm. kind of extend parts, but it's not going to be the same as if you just captured the right shot, you know, in camera at the time. Yeah. And we'll cover this in more detail, uh, later on when we you know sort out what what kind of questions you should ask the client as a photographer but i think that that just doing that is one way that you can protect yourself as a commercial photographer and i even think as a portrait photographer as well because you need to anticipate that even though the client thinks that this is all they will use the image for if you get a great image you want to make sure that you cover yourself for all future uh, options down the track. Correct, correct. So it's interesting that we're talking about this because the next uh, di key difference in in a, between a portrait photo and a commercial photo on my list is about negative space, which is mm. exactly what we're talking about. So portrait photo, your 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 subjects will be filling the frame, and you know these 
these things that we're talking about just don't really matter um, versus the commercial photo needing to have more negative space. And you can, it's a heck of a lot easier to crop off negative space than it is to add it where it doesn't yeah. exist, right? So that's really the point is making sure that you you have enough room that to work with for you know whatever um, as you mentioned. Um, so the next difference that that I love that I think is um, well all of these differences I think are really important, um, but this is I think this is a big one. Many portrait photos, whether it's a family or a pet, are um, static and posed, and the animal isn't, and this really depends upon the photographer's style. They might be more like a photojournalist where they're just kind of capturing things on the fly. Mm. Um, but oftentimes a pet photo is sit stay. Yeah. So you have a dog that's lay, laying on a couch or sitting in a doorway or wherever, you know, but they're not, in, in, they're not doing anything specific. And most commercial photos are dynamic and there's behavior and movement and there's something happening. Right. And the reason for that is because there, there are um, psychologically more engaging. So um, there have been research studies shown that have been done that have shown that when a consumer and, and a commercial photograph is created to the market, the target market is a consumer that's buying something. It's not the client that's commissioning the photo. It's the consumer. That's who it needs to appeal to. So consumers are more attracted to photos that show some sort of movement or life than, than a static photo where there's nothing happening, which I find really interesting. Um, so you'll see in a lot of really, really, um, you know, well-known, very talented commercial photographers there's life in all of their photos. There are things happening. Um, and, and I love that. I just think that's so cool. Cause I, I personally think they're more interesting. Yeah. Um, and they're, and so they're more of a, this, the next, my next point, the next difference is they're more like, um, more photojournalists, photojournalistic. Uh, and I just mentioned that many portrait photographers do that, yeah. uh, where they're just kind of there capturing whatever's happening. Um, and that's great. Um, and so that if, if a photographer is used to shooting that way and they do very little, what I call posy posy, yeah. posing their, their subject, um, they, they would probably find it to be a pretty easy transition to commercial work where they are, um, they're sort of setting the stage and then allowing like organic behavior to happen right. within that scene that's set. Um, but they're not micromanaging their talent and saying, put your hand here and then put, you know, like yeah. controlling every single movement. Um, and so if they're used to photographing in a photo photojournalistic way where they're just kind of letting things free flow and they're capturing these moments when they happen, it may be easier for them to do because that's more of a, like a commercial style. Um, so there's that. And then, um, I think you'll appreciate this cause I, I think you're, much more of a lighting expert than I will ever be because I'm not good at lighting. Um, in a portrait photo, oftentimes, or you know, regular pet photo, you'll find more even lighting across the frame. Mm -hmm. And in a commercial photo, uh, you'll often have more focus lighting that draws attention to your subject. Right. So you might have a little bit more vignetting, or there's, you know, you 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 literally have some type of a spotlight. There's you're you're controlling and directing where the light is coming from because most commercial photo shoots have auxiliary lighting that's used. 
uh, as opposed to just using natural light. And that's including if you're shooting outside as well. So, um, so that's something that I've had to learn uh, because I've spent most of my career shooting with natural light. And I'm like, Oh God, wait, okay. To achieve this look, I really do need to bring in some strobes and figure out where I want to position them and where I want to call attention um, visually, you know, to this scene, um, which is not exactly easy to do with animals because they have a tendency to move around, (laughs) especially if that's what I want them to be moving around. Then, uh, yeah. Um, that's one of the hardest parts of my job. Um, uh, so the, there's two more key differences. Um, the next one is, I think if, if there are any really important takeaways from what we're talking about right now, this is the most important one. A uh, regular pet photo or portrait photo captures a simple moment in time. It's like a snapshot. It's a freeze frame. Um, there's nothing there's not a lot more to what's going on than what you see in the frame. Whereas a commercial photo usually tells a bigger story. You can create a story behind it. And that story might've even been created by a creative director who sat in a a meeting room before the shoot and said, this is the story that we're trying to tell about this shot. Do you want to give us an example of that, Jamie? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, Come on, creative brain. Where are you? You seem to have left me. Um, trying to think. So it might be a family, a couple kids and a couple parents who adopted this new dog and mm. just brought them home. And it's the story of their first experiences together. Right. Um, and you've got, uh, I, I don't know what would indicate, that, you know, this is, a, this is a new dog um, that's in the details, of course, in the shot. But you as the viewer know that there is that story that they're, you know, excited to be together. They're getting to know each other. I don't know. Maybe the, the dog is shaking, you know, with a paw, like shake for the first time. And yeah. the kid's like thrilled with this. Um, so something like that, where you can write a story around the photo. So the image needs to be something that everyone can relate to. When they look right. at it, they'll see something about, oh, that's that's what it would feel like to bring a dog home or, you know what I mean? Or like I can, right. re- I can relate to that. Whereas when you're looking at a pet portrait, you're seeing someone else's dog. Right. But right. a commercial shoot, if it's good, will have enough visual cues and the way the image is composed and created, you as the viewer can put yourself into that frame. Right. Now, having said that, though, here's the really interesting thing. Mm. Um, the the final kind of piece of the puzzle here in terms of the differences between the portrait photo and the commercial photo is that most portrait photos are realistic. So they are capturing what is it, – it, it's a real life. There's, there's no glamour there, right? Yeah. Um, versus a commercial photo, and most commercial photos are what's called aspirational. And that means that when someone looks at that photograph, they aspire to have that or to be that, right. to be that family with that dog in that beautiful house or to, to run through that gorgeous field of flowers or to lay on the beach with their dog snuggling up beside them or whatever it may be. So they're aspirational. They're better than, they're the best version of reality that you could imagine for yourself. 
and because, that's part yeah, of I mean, good advertising, selling. all good advertising is saying to you, you don't have this now uh, and that's your problem, but you can right. solve it by buying this and this is going to make you better. So it'll be like, you know, if they're selling underarm deodorant, it's because you don't want to smell, so buy this product. Right. So, so somehow you want the best life for your dog or then you need to buy these uh, chewy treats or this blanket or this thing because it's missing in your life. Right. So whatever it is, it's better than what you've got now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which is sort of sad, but that's what they do. <laughs> so as you were um, pointing out the differences, uh, I, I mean, I, I can see that in the last uh, few years, say five or so years, there has been emerging uh, of the two genres. And I see a lot of portrait photographers are now shooting in a more commercial style and ah. I see a lot of commercial shoots that are starting to take on um, a more uh, sort of portrait or everyday look and I know that I've, I've heard stories about advertising agencies hiring top shelf photographers to and amazing equipment and then in the post, they'll make it look like it was shot on an iPhone. <gasps> oh, my God, I can't believe you said that because I actually had a shoot that yeah. for a huge international client yeah. that requested that. They, yeah. they specifically requested blown highlights, which yes. means overexposed light areas. Because and they I... want be, – the, <laughs> because the, the clients are becoming – uh, consumers are so much more savvy now that it's getting harder to sell. So, like – you know, right. even 10, 15 years, it's certainly when I was starting out, uh, advertising shots were like styled and set up within an inch of their life. You know, everything was right. so, 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 so perfect. And if there was a hair out of place, it was almost a reshoot. There's a crease on the shirt. And now uh, we're being asked to actually know it needs to look sloppier, sloppier. Right. So right. Uh, we want like I'm putting stuff in front of my lens to look like there's something just walked through the lens. I make people walk through the, can you just walk across my frame as I'm shooting this? And so now it's not like just one thing. There's like seven moving parts in an image to make it look like you just happened to happened upon that scene with your iPhone and took a shot. Yet it was taken with a crew of, you know, 50 and, all of that. So we're working very hard to create these images that look like they just happened, but they're not. They're actually set up. Right, but that's very, very, very difficult to do. Yes. Very difficult. And to get like a – I know you're working with – to get that dog to uh, slobber on cue or to look in the right way because that's where the negative space is. So Fido's got to look into the right or to the left – while the kid's got its hand in his mouth and or, you know, they're all rolling around and tumbling around, you've got to get the light in the right spot. Not easy. No, no, no. And I've, um, I have, uh, th- uh, this may surprise some of your, some of your listeners, but since I started doing pet photography, uh, oh God, I think it was, well, I think it was in 1999 was when I started doing it as a hobby. I have spent a lot more time shooting from the hip than I have framing up through the viewfinder of the camera. And um, that's how I've gotten my most engaging photos. And so 
but what's interesting though is that when I've been asked to create photos that are not perfect, you know, we want dirty and raw and gritty and just yeah, it, what we're talking about right now is um, I'll shoot from the hip, but I'll just wave the camera all over. I'm like, I don't even know what I'm getting. I have no idea, you know, <laughs> just because I'm trying to get something that's not. <laughs> I think you sell yourself a bit short there. I think after (laughs) 19 or 20 years, that's all intuitive. And you actually, like, because I know a lot of photographers that uh, make a living shooting from the hip and the ones that I've interviewed, uh, like, because I've tried it and I get nothing, okay? It's not easy to do and get a shot. Even if you take a 1,000 frames, you still might miss the shot. I think there's something that happens with your muscle memory when you've done enough, you kind of know exactly how to tilt the camera, what angle to yeah. get to get that shot. And it's that that's a risky thing to do when you're on a $200,000 shoot, you know? So For sure. I think you <laughs> need sure. to give yourself more credit that it's yeah. like, oh, it just happened. There's a lot yeah, it's 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 tricky, but I think that doing it repeat, repetitively like constantly you're getting the training that muscle memory and it is it, it, it becomes intuitive I guess yeah and I this is a tangent but I would encourage everyone to try it yeah. because the, the interesting thing about this process is that it forces you to recognize and understand exactly what the camera is seeing no matter where it is yep and I'm actually uh before I got on the line to you, I was writing my newsletter and this is one of the things I'm talking about. People have this idea that to train as a photographer, you need to have chunks of time allocated to do that. Like I've got, when I've got a free weekend, I'm going to go and practice this shooting from the hip. This is something that you can do as you're walking from the bus stop to the, to work, set your, set up your camera, pre-focus, uh, you know, on a pole, a few meters in front of you, set your aperture at f8, and just as you walk along and you're walking past people or dogs or anything, start shooting from the hip. And if you did that every day for that five-minute walk from the bus stop to you know the front door of your office, uh, you'd get so good at it. And eventually, there'll be that time. I think you would have noticed this, Jamie, when you were doing the shooting from the hip. There was just one day when you went, "I've got this." That's the spot, yeah. right? Yeah, and the cool thing is, you, you no matter how long you've done it for, no matter no matter how experienced and skilled you are, and and yeah, I mean, yeah, I will I will say that my skills are um, extremely refined, just because I've taken yeah. probably millions of shots yeah. from the hip, you know, at this point. Um, but even even now, I do a shoot. I don't know exactly what I got. I can't tell you you know, right afterwards without seeing the images first, I got this and this and this, and I know I got this. And there's a thrill that comes when looking through the images, because what always happens is you end up capturing things that you could have never set up if you had tried to set it up perfectly and that you didn't envision in your mind creatively. You didn't have the visual for it. It just happened. It's like, I call them, you know, the happy accidents especially when it comes to animals or kids. I think, you know, little kids would be perfect for that. I haven't done that with kids, but it would be, you know, really similar um, and also fun because it would be less intimidating than holding it up in front of your face, which is the whole reason why I started doing it that way to begin with. So you're Uh, engaging with the pet and shooting at the same time. Correct. 
yeah. And that there's, I mean, this is, this is a big tangent, but there's something that um, dogs specifically, cats don't really care. Cats are like, whatever. They don't, uh, but do dogs, they? They just don't they care. Don't, they don't care. But dogs read people's body language mm. through their, their body, but also through their facial expressions. Right. And when a dog wants something from you, what does it do? It stares at you in the eyes. Yeah. Just sit there and stare at you forever. And you're like, what do you want? What? What do you want? Um, and so when you take away that communication tool, it can actually make them feel uh, intimidated and um, um, how it's the word I'm looking for. Um, oh, I can't think of the word that I'm looking for. It it reduces their confidence level. Right. And it, it usually makes them look away. A lot right. of dogs will look away from the camera. So people say, God, I can't get a great shot of my dog because every time I try and photograph him, he looks away. He won't look at the camera. Because I can't it's see your that, face. Exactly. That's the problem. It's not the camera. The camera isn't the issue. It's that he can't see your face or your eyes. Um, so that's why I started shooting that way. Um, but the, here's a really interesting thing. Because we're talking about the differences between commercial and and pet, and regular pet photography, yeah. um, I I find that when I'm shooting commercial work, I spend a lot more time framing up through the viewfinder and shooting in landscape mode uh, because um, I because I'm not asking for or expecting the the animal to look into the camera. Oh, Does so that that's a great way to get them to look into the empty space. Put your put your face behind yeah. a camera so they don't look at you. Exactly. Great. Exactly. And so I realized early on, uh, you know, when I started doing commercial photography ages ago, that it was actually easier in some respects. And I was spending a lot more time working on, you know, perfecting my settings. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, and I remember thinking, I remember thinking, oh my god. Like framing up through the viewfinder and shooting this way is so much easier. <laughs> like, <laughs> like these other photographers have nothing to complain complain about if they're you know if they have the luxury of doing this all the time. I was just like, wow, I can get like a lot better really quickly because I can actually see my settings and like yeah. you know make easy changes and I can see what I'm looking at. I can tell if I've, you know the frame is crooked and all that. And it was like, this is great. <laughs> this is so much easier, um, which is funny. But the other thing too is I noticed that at least with the clients that I work with, um, they use a lot more horizontal photos than vertical photos, right. which I think is interesting. Yeah. So most of my por you know, early portrait work of pets uh, were vertical because I, I spent 75% you know, of the time probably or more shooting from the hip. And yeah. I can shoot from the hip in... Uh, horizontal? I, I mean, you would, you would laugh if you watched me do it. I can do it horizontally, but not with ease, um, and it slows me down a lot. So I can easily hold the camera in portrait mode and shoot from the head. Is that anywhere. just because it's, it's a, mecha a mechanical that you just can't get comfortable a good grip on the camera? Is it that? Yeah, yeah it's it's a weight issue. It's just how right. it's balanced. And so, you know, I can hold the basically the hand grip. I can hold the camera just by my fingertips yeah if you need to and shoot from the hip i mean it's not a good idea because you drop it but you can't do that when you're holding it in horizontal orientation really i've done it before with one hand horizontally which sounds insane it's like yeah. how is it even possible because i mean if you're talking about high-end dslr they're heavy yeah they are so, they're about three kilos aren't they yeah no, sorry uh, that's about seven eight pounds 
10 okay. pounds. Yeah. Yeah. Depending, depending on what kind of lens you and, have. And the like, lens, if you've got like a 70 to 200 strapped on, even right. more. Yeah. Right. It, it's just, yeah, it's very difficult. It's not possible. There was one time, this is hilarious. I, um, <laughs> I still can't believe that I pulled this off. It was just a few frames and it was a personal project I was working on. So it didn't, you know, it wasn't no big stakes or anything, but I shot, now I'm going to brag here. Yeah. I shot with my left hand with one hand. Nice. And I rested it. It why? was like, we, had, it, like why were you left-handed? Like, Cause that was the right side to shoot on for that shot. It was the, it was like, uh, I, I feel like I had the dog exactly where I needed them to be, and I did not want them to move. And I knew that if I moved, that the dog would move. Yeah. But I had to get the camera in a different position, and the only way to do it was to switch hands. <sighs> so I had like the bo- the base of the camera resting like on part of my forearm, and somehow got my hand, my left hand, over the top of it to fire the sh- to focus and fire the shutter. I only did that a few times, one shoot, a few frames, but they looked awesome. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Wow. So I, I, you know, I've, I've never had rules about how you should. Like, I saw Facebook posts the other day, and and uh, these photographers were like, you're, you're holding the camera wrong. And I'm just like, who gives a crap how you hold the camera? <laughs> it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. If it, your shots are great, who cares? You yeah, know? exactly. Anyway, sorry, major tangent. That's all right. You're talking my language. I'm always wandering all over the place. The listeners know what I'm like, so. Good. So we talked about the differences in the shots themselves. And then what was, and I know we're going to talk about pricing and approaching shoot kind of inclusions. And then was the middle component the actual the sh- uh, so the, uh, I mean, obviously, the, sh- the shoot itself is like right. the difference is you're dealing with not just the one client who loves Fido. There's the art director. There's like tell us about an average commercial shoot. What what would be involved on set? Yeah, so I'm going to approach this in in kind of an interesting way um, that I think will be informative or I hope anyway, will be informative, enlightening, and also ease people's anxiety about doing a commercial shoot. Because um, when when a pet photographer is showing up to work with, a, with a, let's just say a dog owner, because mo- let's be honest, most of the time when someone's commissioning photography of their pet, it's a dog, it's not yeah. a cat. Yes, people do commission photography of their cats. I've photographed pet rats before for mm. paid shoots. Um, people will get their ferrets photographed, but most of the time it's a dog. So I'll just use that from now on. So when someone's going to meet a dog owner, oftentimes the photographer is the only, they're a team of one. Yeah. Maybe they'll have an assistant that's holding a light um, or a reflector or carrying a bag or something, but they don't have a team of people doing this because the, the money isn't there. You know, the, the, the dog owner isn't going to spend on a photo shoot to get a crew of people to come. Plus it's not necessary. Um, So on a commercial shoot, depending on who the client is, and there's so much variability here. So I hate generalizing, but most of the shoots that I work on, which are for national or international clients, there is a crew of people there and you will have a producer and that's someone who controls all the details of the shoot, does all the scheduling coordinates with the, the talent slash models talent is the same word for models. I just use the word talent. Mm. Um, 
including animal talent. Um, so they coordinate, um, they're the project manager. The producer is the project manager. Uh, and so they'll be there. There may be a um, producer's assistant. Um, there may be a production coordinator. There may be multiple um, producer assistant or production assistants. Uh, and then there will be camera assistants, um, a first assistant who is the photographer's right-hand man, so to speak, someone who has a lot of experience and really knows their stuff on set and can set up lights and prepare gear and all this. And then uh, there may be a second assistant, which is sort of one tier down in experience level. There may even be a third assistant or a fourth assistant, depending on how big the shoot is. And then you have someone called a digitech or a digital tech, and that is the person who controls a laptop and ingests the images into software so the client on set can preview them on mm -hmm. the laptop, which is something very rarely ever have on a regular pet photography shoot. Yeah. Um, you know, the client doesn't see the images on the set. So that's pretty typical for a commercial shoot, even when photographing animals. Um, so you have the, um, the Digitech, um, you have uh, usually a caterer on set, have a wardrobe stylist you'll have a hair and makeup stylist yep. or a hairstylist or and a makeup stylist you have multiple makeup stylists depending on how much talent is there um and then you'll have um agency reps so you may have an art director um you might have a client rep who's the person the, the big wig that comes from the company that is the end user of the photographs um and so you have a very large team of people there supporting you as the photographer and the way that i look at it is i look at it like you're the captain of the ship and all the crew are your ship crew your your crew you know your shipmates but you are in charge of this ship which is the project oh. and you're the boss of literally everyone on set um but the really cool thing is, and what I find so incredibly exciting, is they're all there to support you in doing your job, doing a great job. And they make it so much easier for you. And um, that's something that I never really understood or appreciated until I started doing bigger and bigger commercial shoots, is that I don't have to do all of this myself. I have help. I have a lot of help. Yeah. Um, I don't have to be trying to hold a reflector while, you know, bending over backwards to photograph this you know, dog in this perfect position. There are people who do that for me. I don't have to change my lenses. I don't have to grab another camera body out of the bag. Like these things are being done for me. Um, I just have to shoot. Yeah. That's my job. I shoot. I make the pictures. Um, and so having that freedom on a commercial set, in my opinion, allows me to create even better images because I don't, I'm not distracted by other things that I would normally do, you know, just working for a regular dog owner. Um, so I think that's awesome. I think it's actually much easier in that respect in terms of just making the photos themselves on a commercial set versus on a, um, you know, private client shoot. Also the talent is usually professionally trained. Yep. So you're not working with the dog that just came out of the shelter who doesn't even know sit yet. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you Weaves all, all over your camera bags, which has happened to me. Um, <laughs> the, I think the other major difference between the commercial shoot and the portrait shoot is that you, you do have uh, many people that you're answering to that are also uh, in there directing with you. So um, 
how does that work with you? So you've got like the client brief where they'll they'll want a specific looking shot. Are they uh, coming to you at the outset and saying, we want to do a shoot, we don't have any ideas, what do you think? Um, or is it, we want, we've got this packaging, this is the a campaign and this is the, con- and this is the look and feel and here's a, um, you know, a storyboard of ha- some ideas and how, the, the direction that we want to go in. Yeah, it really depends. I mean, it's a mm. great question. It really depends. And I think, I, I think if there's, I think if it depends on anything the most, it's the size and experience level of a client, mm. because the, in my experience anyway, the bigger the client, the more they understand that they need to know what they're asking for Mm. and they need to ask for it. And the best way to do that is in, as you mentioned, a creative brief, which is simply a PDF, a multi-page PDF that has what we call comp photos, which are comparable photos that are similar to what they would hope to receive from this particular shoot that you're doing. Um, And those are extremely valuable and most of the bigger clients I've worked with will supply those after I've signed a non-disclosure agreement. And I'm kind of getting ahead of myself because I'm talking a bit about process, like yeah. pre-shoot process, uh, which we can talk about. Um, but having that that creative input and the visuals ahead of time really help inform the direction of the shoot and each shot that's created. Um, and so with some clients, I'll, we'll even go so far as to, I've had clients tape um, I have had, uh, I'm trying to think, I, I, there was one shoot where I asked my producer to print and laminate and tape down these shots onto the studio floor, the comp shots. Right. Because they were so incredibly specific. Yeah. And I mean, we're talking about like just, you know, little, little minute details would make the difference. And I needed to be able to look at those a hundred times, you know, all day. And, and really know exactly, okay, when you shift, and when you're working with a dog, trying to shift a dog a couple inches is not easy, and then get them to look natural still, you know, it's not easy. Um, so that there's, that's kind of the extreme of specific, the, this is our, these are our shot lists, these are the shots, this is exactly what we're getting, we're not varying from it at all. That would be for like a packaging shoot, for example. Um, and then I've had clients who say, we just... We really love your 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 organic and like um, you know your authentic and engaging style. So just do that. Right. And I'm like, well, okay. Uh, what else? <laughs> you know, like, I could do that, but you know, if you get you you can give me as much direction as you want, and I'll I'll deliver it to you. Um, so that's actually more challenging, I think, um, when you have very little direction but you have a lot of pressure on you to deliver these really amazing images. Yeah. Um, I tend to do best. I I tend to do my best work with less direction. I think many photographers are that way. Yes. Um, I think that's more unusual that for me, that would be um, more common in, in working with a client who's never worked with a a photographer before, uh, you know, of any kind, they just don't really know what they need or what they're asking for. Um, and that, um, if, if we can go back a little bit, um, when a, when I get a request for an estimate or a bid, um, and and I can talk about the difference in a minute, um, you know, I ask a lot of questions about, well, what specifically are you hoping to achieve in terms of the types of shots? 
and can you send me comps or do you have a credit brief? Um, and they will or will not have those things. And if they don't have those things, one of my tasks as a creative professional is to brainstorm either for or with them. And I hope it's with them and not for them, the kinds of shots that would benefit them the most based on what they're going to be using them for. And that takes a lot of time and skill and experience to be able to look at their needs and go, okay, well, they're going to be using these shots on Instagram. They think this you know, for this specific campaign, I think if we created something like this, it would look really cool. Right. So maybe they're going to do a summertime theme, like summer fun at the beach with a dog. So let's get some shots of dogs, you know, jumping in the waves. And we want to have some sun streaming in because we know that they want to use these sort of like pastel yellow colors in, in, this, in this ad campaign or whatever they're doing. So let's keep the colors in mind. Um, so that, in my opinion, that's kind of doing the client's work for them that they should have already done before they approached a photographer with, you know, having some idea of what they yeah. need. But, but that definitely happens where it, it is, it is the onus is on the photographer to help the client figure out what exactly they really need, visualize those shots, use their creativity and, and then create them for them. Right. So would you um, be making sure that you're asking a lot more questions and how, if you've got a new commercial client that doesn't have a lot of experience working with photographers, how do you uh, help them um, visualize what they need to see? Because there is two different languages being spoken. You as a photographer that's done this for a long time can think of an image and describe it and know that, you know, okay, so I've got Fido running across the meadow uh, and the background will be out of focus. But the client might be visualising something different. And I've heard a few horror stories where that was the case. Like you're, you think you're turning up to do X, but client has imagined a Y and then you get on set and they're like, no, 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 this is what we wanted. So what, 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 what tools are you using to make sure that before you actually get on set, you're both on the same page? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and before I answer it, this is, this is sort of an aside, um, but I'll, I'll say it before I forget. Most pet photographers are used to asking a lot of questions and getting a lot of information from their potential client about the dog itself. Yep. So their behavior, their likes, their dislikes, their background, their health history, their, you know, dietary restrictions, just all kinds of stuff. And most pet photographers will have a long questionnaire that they ask their uh, client to fill out before the shoot. So a commercial shoot and preparing for it is very similar in terms of needing a lot of information from the client before feeling comfortable that you can uh, create what they need. So in one sense, it's I need a lot of information on the dog in order to work with them and create great photos of them. Uh, that's, you know, the pet photography side for the dog owner. And then on the commercial side, it's I need a lot of information to know what kinds of photos I'm going to be creating. And then also what they're going to be using them for, um, which is directly connected to pricing, which we'll talk about. Um, so when I'm asking all the questions to the commercial client, a new commercial client about where will you use these and um, are you going to overlay ad copy on them and what um, what kind of negative space do you need and what orientation do they need to be in? Um, is there a color scheme that you're going for? 
what type of feel are you going for? What type of environments do you want to be shooting in? If I'm really struggling to get information from them and feedback on what they're looking for, the best tool that I've used is other photos. Yeah. And I, quite frankly, I don't care if they're mine or not. Yep. It really doesn't matter. I will dig through my galleries if I don't see anything in there, you know, in, on my hard drive or on my, my, my website galleries that I can send them a link to. I'll look on Google Images. I'll look on stock websites. It doesn't make any difference at all. I just need to be able to see visually what they have in mind and have them look at the photos that I show them and say, oh, yeah, like that, like really similar to that, only with these key differences. So like, you know, more more meadow-like and less farm-like. And whatever. I think that, that using an image as shorthand, it just cuts out so much miscommunication. And I think that that, that advice applies to whether you're a portrait photographer or a commercial photographer and whether you shoot people, animals, products, it doesn't matter. Having that conversation about look and feel, it's like I can say I want blue. Well, what blue? Like if I say blue now, everyone that's listening, I, I could and, and I could get everyone to send me the, the color blue that you're thinking, they're all going to be different, right? Right. So, so right. it just cuts out all that miscommunication because everyone has a different image in their mind's eye. You've established, uh, I think, the differences between that commercial model of a shoot and the um, the portrait model, and I think um, th- th- there appears to be a lot more collaboration going on, and I think it's important that a lot more questions are asked. And like, I'm, I'm sure that as portrait photographers, you like, I think all this information that you're giving applies to all genres of photography. It just it sounds like just common sense, really. Right. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I can't, I can't overemphasize how critical communication is when working with any kind of client. And the more communication you have, and the more clear that communication is, the more successful you will be in whatever that project is, regardless of who the client is, or what kind of client they are. And the better the the photos will be, period. I, I, th- I think it's really as simple as that. I think as photographers, uh, one of our jobs is to also manage expectations as well because even Definitely. if you're a, uh, uh, a portrait photographer and someone comes to you and uh, they have uh, an idea of, in their head of what they're going to look like because they've seen the images on your website where everyone – happens to be a movie star and um and then they they expect that they'll look the same but sort of physically they may never look like that you 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 have to kind of say well you know let, let me have a look at what kind of images you want and so that I can say uh, what we can actually get and so that they have more realistic expectations going in so someone who owns uh uh, a dog that's maybe uh, a cross between 15 dogs, half its hair's missing, and then they show you an image of Lassie with long, silky hair. <laughs> it's not always achievable, is it? Right, right. And that, that happens with commercial clients as well. Yeah. And one of the challenges with my specific niche in commercial photography is um, I – It is not at all uncommon for me to work with an advertising agency who has never done an animal shoot before. Right. 
And so maybe they've been in business for 20 years, but this is their first, you know, photo shoot of dogs and cats. And it is not the same as working with human subjects. It's just totally, it, it's a, I say it's a whole different animal because it really, it is literally and figuratively, it's very different. Um, and so there's a lot of expectation managing because they just don't have the experience to know really what's reasonable to expect. Um, and I, I, I mean, I would never blame them for that. So then my job is to be an educator and explain to them, well, um, if you're looking for really organic interactions, it's not a good idea to pair a child who doesn't really like dogs that much with the dog if you're trying to make them look like their best friends. Like yes. it just doesn't, you can force that with two human models. Like they can, if they're good, they can do that, you know, yeah. but not, not an animal and a human. It just doesn't work that way. So there's, there can be a great deal of education that takes place regardless of the size of the client um, on the, you know, the end user side. When I say client, I'm talking about the company who's actually using, you know, so like pedigree would be the client. Um, but then, okay, this gets complicated, but my client, the one who's hiring me that I'm under contract with is the ad agency. Right. Um, so regardless of the size of any of the clients, um, there, there's, there's always education going on in the commercial photography industry. And that becomes easier with experience. You know, the more years the photographers been doing it, the easier it is for them to, to look at the, the project brief and go, okay, well, there's these considerations and this is going to make it a little bit more complicated and we have to take this, you know, we need to address this potential issue and this, that, and the other thing. And, and it's even more complicated when it's with dogs. Um, but I, I love that part. I personally love, I love challenges. So it's perfect for me. Fantastic. All right. So I think that's a good place to um, pause on this episode, and uh, and and now we'll go. We'll continue on uh, in an, in another episode with uh, pricing and how you actually shoot. So, um, shall we dive into some of your uh, thoughts on pricing for commercial photography? Sure. Oh my gosh. Oh. It's such a complicated, such a complicated and confusing and overwhelming and nerve wracking and exciting topic. <laughs> I mean, it's all of those. It's all of those things. Right. Um, and I um, so. <clears throat> um, pricing with commercial photography is usually not always it depends on the photographer, but it's usually very different from pricing for portrait photography or pet, regular pet photography. Um, most portrait photography, you have some sort of packages or you have a, a session fee and then um, product prices. And it's been a long time since I shot for, for private or retail clients. So I've been out of the game for a while. So I don't really know exactly how it's done now. But when I used to, uh, what I would do is I would have collections of products. So I don't know if people still do collections or not, but we do collections of products. So yes, you could buy them individually, but you save a lot of money uh, and you get, you know, this really beautiful package of, of different, wonderful, you know, fine art products if you buy them all together. Right. Um, and that's where most of my revenue would come from would be these collections of products that I pre-created. Um, so when working with a commercial client, you're not selling products, you're selling images the files are your assets and your what you're making most of your money off of. Um, if you're using the traditional licensing model, 
and this is where it gets really complicated, but if you think about it, like when you do a portrait photography session or pet photography session, if a client wants to, the high res image files, which of course they all ask for now, right? Like I know yeah. that's true. They all want to just get, and can you give me the raw files? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I can raw put my you Instagram even know filters, yeah. You even have software that can open a raw file? You even know what it is? Probably not. Someone told you they, they wanted them, you should ask for them, so you ask for them, whatever. Anyway, don't get me started on that. Um, but many photographers will sell the high-res JPEG file. Yeah. So you're not selling the photo because you still have it. You still own it. You know, the photographer still in most, not all countries, but most countries, you're still the legal owner of the copyright for that file. And you're not, there's, it's not like there's just one copy and you're selling the client the file and then it's gone. You never have it again. Um, so what you actually are doing is you're selling what's called a personal use license to use that photo for personal usage, which would be on prints or screensaver or social media or whatever, whatever the client's going to use them right. for non-commercial use, which means they can't use it for any business use. So what if the client then decided to uh, – and that's protecting you, the photographer, from the client then selling that beautiful image you took of Fido to the local pet food company and it goes on the cover of the can and it has a national run and they make thousands – they recoup their money from your shoot basically. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So now – but if you take that same exact – uh, private client and they have a dog daycare and they want to use that photo in their dog daycare materials. So maybe brochures or um, I, I mean, who knows, business cards. Uh, maybe they want to create a graphic from one of the photos and have it printed on t-shirts that they sell. That's commercial use. So that goes over into commercial use licensing. So they may have a personal use license to print the image for their own personal use, but then if they want to use it for their dog daycare business, that's a commercial licensing, commercial right. use license that you're you are granting them, extending to them, you're selling them a license. Um, because commercial use um, has the potential to make a company a lot more money by using these gorgeous photographs the value of that license is usually significantly higher than a personal use license. Right. And I think, I think that would make sense to most people yes. listening to this. It's just kind of logical. Right. Um, and obviously the bigger the client, the more they stand to gain in benefit or value from that photograph. So that so, image is being seen by more people across more uh, districts or, you know, it'll be international, it'll be seen everywhere and that, that client that's having, say, doggy daycare, it's, it's advertised across the state because people come across state, will, will travel across the state to have their, their doggy looked after at this uh, particular location. So the, having that beautiful image gets them more business through the door. So as a photographer, you need to value that fact that, that that is what you are doing. Therefore, you need to charge more for um, that image, right? Exactly. exactly. And with the traditional licensing, commercial licensing model, the usage fee, so the fee that you're charging the client to use the photo in these particular ways are based on 
the type of use, the location of the use, the duration of the use, the quantity of the use. So let's use the dog daycare as an example. If they have a chain, hmm. let's say it's a, 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 let's just say they have 20 different locations all throughout Australia and they're yep. very successful because most dog daycares, let's face it, they don't have that many locations. Yeah. Um, so let's say they have 20 different locations all throughout Australia. Um, and in, in one scenario, they only need to use the image or want to use the image for one location and they want to use it for one summer promo they do because they just installed a doggy pool mm. and so they want to print postcards that they'll hand out at the next event that they go to or something in that city so that would be they would be purchasing a usage fee to print the photo on postcards and the fee would be calculated based on how many postcards they would print how big the photo is on those postcards um I'm trying to think of what else. Um, the, <laughs> to look at, I have to look at my cheat sheet that goes over all of the different things that you factor when you're creating a, a usage usage fee. So we've um, got uh, postcards. Have we got a, a full page ad in the local paper in there? Sure. There yeah, let's be, throw that in there. Uh, a uh, the back of cabs with an ad, and maybe a billboard on the side of a local building. Yeah, that sounds great. So each one of those would factor into the fee and increase yeah. the fee. Um, and then if you look at a billboard, a billboard is a very valuable, mm. high visibility marketing advertising tool um, because you have you know tons of people pass it every day. Um, especially if you put a dog, if you put a dog photo on anything, everyone notices it because people love animals. Of and, course. And you notice like anyone who spends time on Facebook now sees advertisements that are completely unrelated to animals in any way and they have a cute dog in there you know it's like some some web service and it's a dog and glasses because have, they they've learned that that sells <laughs> have you heard that they were training ai to look, just look at youtube videos and eventually the ai ended up looking at cat videos and dog videos which is, <laughs> we always end up there yeah, totally. So even totally. AI are drawn to uh, dog and cat um, images. <laughs> so funny. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm not surprised at all. Um, so you've got this billboard, which is, is, if you can imagine, is going to be significantly more valuable to the client in terms of potentially generating revenue and new customers that will come to this summer, you know, dog pool special, whatever thing they're doing. Um, compared to a postcard that they pick up at, you know, the, the pet store down the street, yeah. for example, a lot more eyes on it, much higher visibility. So the billboard usage fee would naturally be significantly higher than the postcard fee. Um, so what what the photographer does is then takes all of those different usages, prices each one of them individually, and then puts them all together. And that's the total usage fee for all of those usages. It sounds really complicated. And I know that people have a hard time with this because I talk to them about it. Yeah. Um, okay. So look, we can break this down a little bit further here. Um, and I think it's, it's such an important uh, thing to know, especially for uh, emerging photographers, because what's happening is there are larger companies that are aware of the lack of education out there amongst photographers 
and they'll be able to commission photographers at a much lower rate and you're missing out on uh, a, a, a fair fee for your images, right? So for the new photographer, the, I think the best thing, the best advice I got very early on in the industry, that scratching is my dog actually getting ready for bed. He's, I had a feeling. <laughs> he's he's digging digging the floorboards just to make them more comfortable for him. That's yeah, that's ha, instinct at its finest, right? But he's never going to be one of your um, pet models. He's not. <laughs> I'd love him dearly, but he's not that bright. But I love him <laughs> <dearly>. <laughs> he's asleep now. See, didn't take long. Um, all right, so. A newbie photographer comes onto the scene and they may have been uh, – oh, sorry, no, hang on. I was telling my story, the best advice I got. So as I was breaking into the advertising industry, I remember I was uh, showing my folio to a uh, – and this was breaking into television – and I was showing my folio to the head of publicity for a particular network and I was in the lift on my way to – the fourth floor where the interview was being held and as I was going another photographer was in the lift and saw my folio and he said to me what what are you doing <laughs> was it, he said it nicer than that but it's like hey what mm-hmm. you, what, what's happening what are you doing and I said you know I'm all green and excited oh I'm, I'm going to show my folio to the head of publicity I'm a photographer and he said okay do us all a favor he said, don't undercharge. He said, don't don't compete on price. Compete on your worth, okay? If you're good enough, you'll get the job, but don't charge less than this. And he gave me prices. Wow. That's okay. fantastic. Yes. And so I can't even remember who it was. I wish I knew because I'd actually call him a thousand times over and thank him for that. So... I went in to that meeting with thinking, yeah, he's right, because if I go in and compete on price, because pride came into it then, Jamie, pride for me. I went into it thinking, no, I want to get this work because they like my work, not because I'm the cheap photographer. So they looked through my folio, they loved my work, and when it came, they said, what are your rates? I gave them to him based on what that photographer had told me. Wow. Even though they were probably double what I would have given had I been left to my own devices. Oh, do you, you, you must know how incredibly lucky you got with that run-in. Uh, it was a gift. There's been a few in my oh. life, but I kind of think, well, maybe somehow I did something down the track for someone else that they paid it forward. I don't know, but yes, I thank that guy every single day that gave wow. me that advice. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. You know, and I do this often as I'm mentoring my students. I'll say, they'll come in and I'll say, well, what, what sort of prices should I be charging? And I'll say this. And they'll say, uh, no, no one's ever going to pay me that. I'm like, yeah, that's what it's worth. That's what you should be coming in in this ballpark. And then you hear back from them the next day. They said yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, that putting that value on the work that we do, I can't stress how important enough it is. It is so important and also um, not being 
the the problem with coming in as the cheap photographer is you'll get the job. Uh, people always want to bargain, but unfortunately, you will be the cheap photographer forever, and so you'll always be doing. They'll give you that um, entry level cheap job, and you'll stay there pretty much. And when they do that, that client needs something um, of the next level. They they hire their their next level photographer. It's never going to be the cheap photographer. So right, you're, right. you're keeping that entry level price super low, but you'll never get out of that, you know, mold that you've put yourself in as cheap photographer. It's so tempting to do because everyone wants to get a break, but I think there are better ways um, to getting known in the industry, which we'll talk about next, uh, getting that break and, and getting your name out there than coming in as the cheap photographer. And we'll talk about folio building in a minute. So, um, yeah, so that was my entry into pricing. So uh, just just basically on that, that commercial, the difference between commercial pricing and portrait pricing, big difference. Do you want to just break it down for us, Jamie? Yeah, I, I mean, it's, you know, as I mentioned, it's a very complicated topic, but mm. you listening, listening to, you know, what you're saying about um, not underestimating the value of what you're providing to the client really um, hits home with me because I have felt immense frustration over the years um, over the devaluing of photos in the industry, um, especially on the commercial side. Mm -hmm. it, it's happening everywhere. I don't think it matters what kind of photographer you are, what you're doing. Um, but on the, in the commercial photography industry, it's a significant problem. There's what we call downward pressure on budgets. And it's not getting any better. It's just getting worse over time. And that, that downward pressure is occurring because, because they can because the clients are saying, well, we need you to do a $50,000 shoot for $15,000. And they will find a photographer that will yeah. because they're dramatically lower, lowballing the competition. And they aren't valuing their work. And they aren't recognizing the significant amount of value that they're bringing to this client. Who, by the way, damn well has the budget to pay the $50,000, they're just choosing not to. All right, so we're just throwing around some big numbers now, but I just want to um, break that down further so that everyone listening, because people are thinking, I'd take a $15,000 shoot. That's good money for a shoot, right? But sure. But from a $50,000 shoot, what percentage of that generally is cost? Yeah, so um, the way that commercial photography fees are structured, there, there's a few different ways to do it. And every photographer has their own kind of strategy and, and pricing methodology. Um, and I have two that I use generally most of the time. Well, I, I have three. I do package pricing for some small local and regional clients where um, if they've never hired a photographer before, and I know they're familiar with portrait work, or, or a regular pet photography session or a family or wedding photography, I'll say, okay, for um, $2,000, we can do an all-day shoot and you'll get 50 image files and you can use them for social media and web and postcards, um, collaterals, what we call it, postcards, business cards, hang tags, you know, yeah. whatever printed material you need. And that's great. And, and I'll also include two talent 
and one location or whatever the inclusions yeah. are. So here's the package price. And by the way, there's three different options because yeah. everyone likes to have three different options. So there's three different options. And here's one that, you know, is really budget friendly, doesn't include a lot of stuff, but you'll be happy with it. It'll be great. We'll have a good time. And you'll get some great photos. And then here's, you know, if you want to spend 5,000, we can do this. Yeah. Um, and I spend a lot, I actually spend more time breaking down my costs and how much time I invest and what I can give, like the creating for me, creating package pricing for a small business client is a lot harder than creating pricing for a bigger client or yep. ad agency or a national client. So um, in, just, just to break to that so down. Specific. Yeah. Sorry, Jamie. Uh, within that packaging, you are constantly talking about the value that you're bringing to the shoot. So it's not a matter of this price, this is what you get. It's like this This is really what you get. This is me showing up. Um and all the experience. So you are obviously educating the client about what is exactly involved in the shoot and what, because there are many clients who are going to look at that $2,000 and say, that's ridiculous. I've got Jan in accounts who works for the company and her Instamatic camera, and it takes her five minutes to whip around. And it's like, why do you need all this time? And why is it costing me? So how much, Obviously, you're educating the client a lot about what value you're bringing to the shoot, right? Yeah, and and I will say this: I lose a lot more shoots than I land. Yeah, a yes. lot more. Me too. Um, it doesn't necessarily make me happy, and and it's in large part due to the standard pressure on budgets uh, and, and losing bids, um, which are which we can talk about about in a second. But losing bids to my colleagues that I know. And I know, I know, I know I lost a bit because I find out later that they did the shoot. I'm like, oh God. Um, so I'm not happy about it, but I, that happens because I am unwilling to compromise my needs to meet the clients when we can't even come close on pricing. Yeah. Because, the, because in order for me to do that, I'm sacrificing quality. And mm -hmm. that's something that I will not do. I've got another spin on that. Letting go of a lot of those smaller jobs for me has freed me up to do a better job on the bigger jobs. For sure. Absolutely. Right? Because Absolutely. there was a time when I took everything and it just meant that I was working 24-7 and turning files around and I lost uh, my love of the of the photography and it all just became like this factory that I was just churning at and I didn't care anymore and I don't want to ever be in that position again. So I think for me was the holding true to what I believe my value is and saying, no, I can't. I can't even come anywhere near that, that price. Uh, so I'm sorry, right. you'll have to go with, you know, the, the cheaper quote and hopefully we can work together again. And I've had clients that are now the way they work is there are certain jobs that they will hire a certain photographer for, and when they need um, some bigger stuff, they'll they'll come back to me. So, and I'm very happy with that arrangement. Yeah, and that happens all the time. Mm. Um, if if a photographer approaches it right and says, you know, uh, well, I do the same thing. I say, I would really love to work with you. I believe in what you're doing. I believe in your company. I believe in your product. I think it's really exciting, but I just can't within your budget that you have right now. So please keep me in mind in the future. And if you'd like, I'd like to, you know, be in touch with you next year or whatever and see how you're doing. Mm. Um, and I, I may, I'll even refer other, um, yep. I don't do this so much anymore, but I have in the past referred other photographers to them. Um, they think maybe they might be a better fit for your budget. Um, it just, I just try and help 
clients as much yeah. as I can. I yeah. love helping people just in general. That's just part of my nature. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. These companies grow, they get bigger, they become more successful. And then they go, oh, we, we've always wanted to work with Jamie. So now we're going to reach out to her. And then you actually do the shoot and it's within the budget that you yeah. would expect. And it's reasonable and that you need to actually, you know, create this production and, and get all the tools and resources that you need. Um, so I don't, yeah, I'm never, um, well, occasionally I'm bitter and I'll, you know, I'll do some swearing after I hang up the phone. I'm like, what the hell are they thinking? Uh, stronger language, of course. Um, but usually I, I try and treat clients with respect and understand that they'd have a budget, you know, the money isn't unlimited. Um, you know, they're not some major international client where they're, you know, they've got billions of dollars to spend on advertising. And so I appreciate that and I respect that. Um, but let's go back to the breakdown of the pricing yeah. because that I think segues into what, what we're talking about um, in terms of fees. We're talking about you know package pricing. My dog, my I have a new dog um, oh. and I adore him, oh. and he's licking my face right now. Nice, I love you, buddy. You're such a sweetheart. What Hi. is he? Um, I'm not sure, but I think he is a um, Saint Bernard hound mix, but he's oh my big. God. White, super thick, plush, fuzzy fur, and How he's got big a big brown patch over one eye. He's 80 pounds, oh. and he's like a gentle giant, and his name is Mr. Magoo. Oh, my God. That's so cute. <laughs> yeah, I love him so much. Um, I think you've sent me a photo of him in your package. Is that right? Maybe. I don't know. I should, I'd like I'd like to. I, I He actually – I haven't announced him to anyone yet except oh. for my personal Facebook page, so he's still very new to oh, me. My followers don't know that I got a new dog, and they're going to flip out when they find out. Um, yeah, hi, sweetheart. She's literally looking at my face right now. Um, okay. I can't talk when you're doing that. Um, okay, so with, when it comes to the like the package pricing for a smaller local pr client, um, I'm, I'm essentially doing the same thing that I would do for a national client ad agency. Um, in terms of I'm trying to figure out how much I need to charge for my time that I invest in this in the project, I actually don't I don't usually use the word shoot. I use the word project yes. because yes. The, the, that's something that I knew we were going to segue into. But it's a really important point that when you're doing a commercial photography shoot, the photo shoot is just a part of it. Mm. And, and oftentimes it's a small part of it. So. Mm. I've worked on projects where it's practically full-time work for four or five, six weeks yep. for a four-day shoot. Yes. yes. So I'm not just getting paid for the four days that I show up on set and make photos. No. So when someone says, oh, $15,000, holy cow, that's a lot of money. Well, that has to cover all of your business expenses. That yes. needs to cover all, literally all of the time that you invest before, during, and after the photo shoot itself. So when, when you break it down, you know, on an hourly basis or even a monthly basis, it actually ends up being a lot less than you would think it would be when you first look at that number on paper. Exactly. You pay tax on that. You pay all your assistance. Yeah. You pay your studio exactly. fees. You pay your insurance, your uh, rental of gear, yep. all of it. You, you come out, you're lucky to come out with a pro You wouldn't come out with a profit for that uh, fee. Yeah, yeah. And so when I think the reason why creating these package prices for small business clients is so challenging is because it's like, 
how do I meet my financial needs and generate enough profit to make this worth it, mm. but still deliver enough value to the client that they feel really grateful and they're very satisfied. And most importantly, they have a really nice body of work that actually helps them make more money and make more sales and get more customers. So yep. It's very tricky. It's, it's not easy to do. It's to, you know, I think I probably spent like two or three days just coming up with some package pricing for small business customers. Um, you know, when most of the time I'm used to creating these crazy long estimates with just, you know, I mean like a lot of money, um, not a couple thousand, but you know, 50, 60, 80, hundred thousand dollars. So in, in any price, in any commercial pricing, commercial photography pricing, it gets broken down into essentially three categories. There are photography fees, which are the fees that you charge for any time that you invest. And that includes pre-shoot work, post-shoot work, so post-shoot processing or um, shoot processing for uh, client select, um, whatever you'd want to call it. It's post-shoot processing. I think that's what most portrait photographers call it. Um, and then there's scout work ahead of time. So the photographer may need to go do some location scouting or they're doing tech scouting or there's preparing that needs to take place before the shoot to be ready for the shoot. Or there may be travel involved. So there are travel days. Um, so there's a, a number of different fees that can be charged on top of just a photography fee, which is creating the actual photos um, that are covering all the time that the photographer is investing. Uh, so those are the photography fees. And then there are the usage fees, which, as we already talked about, are the fees that you're charging the client to use the images for those specific uses. So that's a separate fee. And then there are shoot expenses, which are all we talked about the crew. Well, guess what? Those crew members don't come cheap. You know, mm -hmm. you add up 15 people on set and food to feed all of them um, and the location to pay for. And an RV that the talent can change in and, like you know, suddenly you're at $50,000. So that's what people don't understand. Why would it cost so much money is because of all of that stuff, all exactly. of those shoot expenses. And you can't afford to not have these people on set. I mean, all right, maybe six assistants is overkill, but you right. definitely need an assistant and you need a tech assistant to be um, getting the files into the laptop and then backing those up as you go because you can't afford to lose those files on the day and you can't as a photographer keep watch the shoot direct the animals and the talent and um, oversee the files uh, being backed up correctly and making sure that there is like you know, a blown highlight in the background or one of the lights didn't go or there's a cord across the back of the screen that no one else saw. So all these things, what it sounds like, oh, my God, I don't need it. I can shoot on my own. I don't need these three assistants. We don't need catering. We can get, you know, KFC to deliver Uber Eats or whatever. But it's all so important to the shoot running smoothly. If your talent are hungry, they're not going to perform at their optimum. There's so many reasons to have all of this. Uh, the, the crew is so important. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and here's the thing. Maybe on some shoots, you don't really, maybe on some shoots, you won't need some of those things. No, but here's, you don't need here's catering the on every shoot. But here's the problem. You don't need it until you need it. Exactly. And then when you need it, you're SOL if you don't have it there. Yes. 
that's the, that's I mean that's really the kind of the crux of the problem um, and on some shoots now all of that said when there is this downward pressure on budgets and budgets are being squeezed and clients are saying, well, we need a $20,000 shoot for 5,000, which is insane. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, I can't do it. But maybe, maybe it's a $30,000 shoot. They're trying to figure out how to do it for 20. Um, Then you need to get creative. Either you pass on the shoot or you get creative and figure out, okay, how can I lower those expenses? Maybe we don't need, you know, this, our favorite caterer and maybe we go with a new caterer and we save some money there. Or we don't need four locations to move to four locations. We can do it all in one location. So we're, we're going to save on the three extra RV vans we had to hire to get everyone across town and the, the makeup van and all of that. So there, you can work with the client to try and say, all right, so that's your budget. Here's what I can do with for you for that price. Right, exactly. So, and that, and that's a great segue into talking about how to put together all these prices. So a commercial photographer creates an estimate or a bid, and I should mention what the difference is now. By the way, everything that we're talking about right now applies to any genre of photography. Mm. I don't care what your subject matter is. Yep, makes no difference. And and I and I and I think at times as an educator, I've I've had people look at me personally and go, I don't really know if what she's saying is applicable to me because I photograph children or I photograph food or whatever. And it does in commercial photography, it doesn't matter. The process is the same, you know, setting it up is the same. The production is the same. It's all the same. Hmm. It's just the subject matter is different. Sure. The locations may be different, um, but there are a lot more similarities and differences. So um, the um, putting together an estimate or a bid, an estimate is here are the estimated costs. This is what I'm estimating this shoot, this project will cost you. A bid is where you, the photographer is competing against other photographers to land this job or be awarded the job. Um, and that's very common, at least in the United States. To the best of my knowledge, the vast majority, I wouldn't go so far as to say 100%, but I would be confident in saying 95% of ad agency shoots or at least a triple bid situation where they're getting pricing from a minimum of three photographers. And that's something a lot of new commercial photographers don't understand because uh, these art buyers that contact them have gotten so savvy at making the photographer feel like they're the only one under consideration. Like, oh, the client loves your work and they get glowing praise. And, oh, we love this one photo on your website. And they just don't have any clue that they're, they're competing against multiple other photographers. Yes. Um, so the vast majority of, of jobs that I'm under consideration for are bid situation. And I just assume that I'm always bidding 100% of the time. Yeah. Um, an estimate would be, we love that personal project that you did. We really want to work with you. We want to create images that are very similar to that. And we want to shoot in the location that you shot in. We want to use the same talent that you shot in. Yeah. So in other words, almost impossible for any other photographer to recreate that. Exactly. Because that's your style, your your um, assets that you have in terms of talent, locations, whatever it is that you have going for you. Um, those are usually pretty clear just in the communication with a client that you pretty much have it in the bag. That's your shoot and you're not having to compete. Although sometimes they just want to see pricing from other photographers, even if they know they're not going to go with them. So I've definitely been in that situation. So in either case, the commercial photographer is creating an an estimate of costs or a bid. It's the same layout where they have the fees 
the photography fees, the usage fees, and then all of the expenses. And that spits out the bottom line number at the end. And then terms and conditions are attached. Some agencies or clients have their own uh, terms and conditions or contract, if you will, um, that will be attached to the pricing so that everything is very spelled out and clear. Uh, and then that's submitted to the client for consideration. And then usually negotiations begin at that point. Um, if you're doing it right, if you're underpricing, then there might not be any negotiations and the client says, great, let's do it, which means that you know that you're leaving money on the table. Um, so I was trying to make sure that there's some pushback because I don't want to leave money on the table. Um, and so then the, then a conversation starts of, okay, so uh, you're over budget. Occasionally, we want you to increase the budget because the client's looking for um, very high production value. They want the highest quality everything. So yeah. do we need better talent or do we need a nicer location or do we need this out or the other? You know, they want premium results. So we need to make sure we're not leaving anything out at all. So and occasionally that will happen. When you um, bid, you always make sure that you cover your ass and have a little disclaimer down the bottom that that's, to, that's for the 20 shots that you asked for. And a lot of photographers uh, are caught out by this. And I know I have been early on in my career where you're asked to bid for, say, 20 shots. And then on the day, they're always slipping in I can you just do this while you're here and just do that and then you you present them with a new price and they're like no 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 this was the quote this is what we agreed on so you always need to make sure that you cover yourself for each additional image is going to cost you this and anything else that's not listed is this much per hour or or this cost and all the extra um fees associated with creating those extra shots that you've slipped in Right, right. There's a form called a change order form. Yep. And I, I think this is something that many new commercial photographers have never heard of. And they're like, what's that? I wish I, I, wish, wish I had one uh, the last shoot I did. Um, so it's a form that um, the, the photographer and client fill out. Uh, they talk about, they discuss, they write in this form. These are the additions or changes, modifications, whatever, to the shoot that impact the pricing. Yes, And this is the additional pricing that these changes will cost the client. And then both parties sign the form so that everyone's in agreement and it becomes a legal document. So that's how a commercial photographer can avoid having to eat the cost of overages yes. or end up giving away more than they had agreed to in their, um, in their estimate or bid, you know, by saying, the, here's the usage for this number of photographs. So that's how a photographer can protect themselves and potentially generate more revenue from the shoot as well. Exactly. They all yeah. those magical shoots that they start out at something and then they end up being four times what you originally quoted. You go, yes, thank you. Thank you, universe. That's lovely. Uh, a lot of new photographers, this all this talk and these these figures that we're throwing around, it just makes people nervous and often they're just so um so excited to get the job that they forget all of this stuff and they're like, oh, no, I couldn't put that, that, you know, I wouldn't be signing that or asking them to sign contracts. But, you know, information is power and knowing uh, what your rights are, what the going rate is in the industry is also gives you a lot of power in knowing, no, no, there's, I'm not the only photographer that's charging this. This is what the 
the the going rate is at the industry in the moment. So I'm well within my rights to charge that because A, it's the going rate and B, I'm worth it. Um, but having that information I think is so important and you've got a great photography bundle your big commercial photography bundle and I've had a really good look at it and there's so many all these contracts that we're talking about are in there you've got all these detailed um, PDFs on how you actually price uh, jobs and actual case studies in there and and like a definition of terms because so if all this information is a bit overwhelming where can people find that big commercial photography bundle yeah, so that's that. Basically, that's a product that I created for people who have spent a significant amount of time scouring the internet, looking for information from blog posts and maybe some books and just anywhere they can find it. Trying to cobble everything together, right? Um, and who maybe are either frustrated because they've spent so much time doing this, or just like ah, they still don't have everything they need. Um, who are are ready and willing to invest some money into getting one product that contains literally everything that they need, um, both as far as like forms and information, um, some of which we've talked about, um, you know, in our, our chat here. Um, so I created a website um, called commercialphotography.guide, and it has a number of different things on the site. It has articles that I write, and I write articles like I talk, so they're long. <laughs> they're long, and they're detailed, and they're filled with information because I, I try and write articles where people just don't have any questions at the end of them. They're like, yeah, no, that pretty much covers everything. Great. <laughs> I don't have any questions. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there are a whole bunch of articles. Many of them are like, what is commercial photography? You know, 101, really basic, but go into detail on each thing. Yeah. Um, and then there are also resources for um, for um, American photographers to use for shoots. So digital text, producer, stylist, hair and makeup, th that kind of thing in different places around the US, um, kind of directories, if you will. And then there are products. And one of the products is called the Big Commercial Photography Bundle. And that's in the shop on commercialphotography.guide. And um, there are actually two pages on the site that detail information on that particular product. One is a very long sales page that can be accessed from the homepage. Um, anyone who goes there will see um, there's a big, big section of the homepage that says the big commercial photography bundle. And it breaks it down. There's a frequently asked questions. There's just a ton of information on that page. And then the product itself is in the shop. Um, there's still a lot of information on the product page but not as much on the sale as on the sales page. So, but there, there, every single, every single uh, page on this website has a ton of inf ton of information. Um, so, if anyone has curiosity questions, they're right now they're like, yes, I need that. They can get pretty much all the information they need on the website, the commercialphotography.guide. Great. So, uh, I think we can put a link to that in the show notes as well to make it a bit easier for people to find. Yeah. Right, so a lot of uh, sales talk, and let's get into the nitty gritty of because I know are you a trained animal communicate? Is that what what is it you're training my, with animals? Yeah, my background, my university degree. I have a bachelor of arts degree. Bachelor of arts is that what you call it? Bachelor yeah. why does it sound weird to me? It's been I a while. I got one of those too. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we um, all did in the eighties, didn't we? Yeah, you're yeah. a little bit younger than me, but yeah, that was yeah. a thing to do. Get a bachelor it's of arts. The, 
right it's the whatever the four or five year degree here anyway yeah, yeah. um so my I, I had chosen unusual uh field of study but was perfect for me and i absolutely love um animal psychology oh my god animal animal behavior and my um my chosen animal was canis lupus familiaris which is dog a domestic <sighs> dog so i did research studies at off-leash dog parks and read a whole bunch of dog training books, and uh, it's called applied animal behavior when you're talking about uh, domestic animal behavior. So I was taught by some renowned uh, applied animal behaviorists who still um, counsel dog owners to this day about complex behaviors, and so that that was my background. Um, and I did pet photography as a hobby, and I found that that animal behavior education was absolutely invaluable in photographing dogs and getting good shots of them and being able to understand their behavior. So that's was sort of kind of a weird segue for me into doing, doing professional photography of animals. Amazing. And how much has that skill helped you in, it just must be so useful to understand kind of what the dog's about to do or the why they're cocking their head or licking their lips or all the little tells. Oh, immensely. And I mean, it, it sounds weird, but I've actually had conversations with clients in creative calls. Uh, uh, for the listeners, a creative call is a phone call that you have um, that can often be a conference call with multiple parties involved at an ad agency, for example, prior to the shoot where you're discussing the details of the shoot and you talk a lot about the creative, um, you know, the visuals that you're hoping to create. And, and I've actually talked about my animal behavior knowledge and explaining things to the client about, well, if we're trying to capture this look, we really need to keep this in mind because the dog is going to be feeling this way. Um, and so I, I'm sharing my knowledge based on my university education and how that applies to getting the results that they're looking for or not getting the results because, you know, we're approaching it in a way that isn't conducive to get it, to getting those results. And I'm explaining that, okay, well, we need to make adjustments or, you know, include this or take this away or whatever so that we can get the results we need um, from this animal that has a mind of its own. So it's been absolutely invaluable in my career, that, that education, which is hilarious because at the time I thought, well, that was a waste of a lot of money. No, <laughs> so not at all. And then look what it's no, turned around and done for you. Yeah. So yeah. already I've picked up two fantastic takeaways or three even, like the, the not holding the camera to my face and why, okay, the dog recognizes face it's facial recognition, so that's going to help with the dog looking at you. If you want the dog to look away, put the camera up in front of your face. Shooting from the hip for a slightly different angle—that that's fantastic. What other um, what other techniques uh, can you recommend to help uh, any beginners who are starting, or anyone who's a bit more serious about their animal photography to uh, help them achieve that uh, amazing shot? Yeah, so um, this is going to sound really woo-woo, but I, I love I think woo-woo. Most... Go for it. Yeah. I'm, okay. Great. I'm all ears. Great. Yeah. So animals are just like pure energy, right? And humans are energy too, but we're so much in our heads that we forget that we've got these hearts and spirits, and you know we're vibrating, and all our cells are moving, and everything. We just don't think about that stuff. 
but animals do. They feel, they feel, and they feed off of our energy. So for me, if I want to get a dog that is like full of joy and like their ears are kind of flying up and they have a happy face and bright eyes and spark, I call it sparkle face, like the sparkle face, yeah. then my energy needs to match that. And so I will get more joyful and higher energy and just kind of like raise my vibrations if that makes sense that's the woo part no um, this i i talk about <laughs> this all the time jamie with awesome. portrait photography i says your your energy is everything so you need to make sure that you whatever if you're having a terrible day you're feeling flat do whatever it takes to get yourself in a great mood because the photographer is at the top of the pack on any set and the rest of the crew and the and the talent are all going to match your energy and that's that um it's the x factor of a shot it's what brings it life and and you can i know you'll um relate to this but you can see shots that are so technically perfect and the dog or the person may be smiling but that smile isn't authentic. And to create that authentic uh, mood in a shot, it's all to do with the photographer's energy, 100%. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and, the, and, and on the flip side of that, if you have an animal that's hyperactive or really anxious um, and they're, they need to be calmed, then the photographer needs to calm their energy as well. Um, and it may be a kind of, you know, I, I've had really difficult shoots before where I'm running late and I'm stressed and it's a terrible day and like nothing is working right. And I show up and the, the, the dog owner happens to be neurotic and the dog is like totally out of control and uh, everything is just kind of like, uh, um, and I know that I need to ease into the shoot, take a lot of deep breaths, Maybe have a conversation with the owner for a while, just kind of lower the energy level, calm everyone down so the dog isn't so manic yeah. and I'm actually getting good shots of it. So I know that I need to take control of that energetically speaking. Yeah. Um, so it's just something that's really critical to keep in mind at all times for people who do photograph animals that they need to be mindful of what their energy is and how that's impacting the animal. And, and for people who, have paid enough attention to it. You you can actually see the response mm -hmm. visually. You can see the response in the animal's behavior to your energy and kind of where you're at, you know, where you're feeling and where you're at internally. Um, and then the other huge thing is just becoming knowledgeable about um, body language behavior, so the visual cues that the dog will give you. So t t can you just give us a, a few examples of some yeah. dog body language and what, what they're saying when they do that? Yeah, so one of the one of the saddest things that I've seen in the past when I used to teach workshops to pet photographers was um, a dog licking its lips, and the photographer having absolutely no clue that that was a sign of anxiety Aww. or nervousness, yeah. and maybe thinking it's kind of cute behavior, and just yeah. keep you know, click 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 click, and I'm standing watching and going, oh, stop, just stop, like you know, either put the camera away for a minute or sit down, maybe give them some reassuring pets. So lip licking is a calming signal that a dog will display when they're feeling anxious or stressed. And they, they do it to other dogs, but they also do it to humans as well because right. they will communicate with us as if we're another dog. 
um, because that's kind of, you know, what they have in their toolbox. Um, Also, holding the ears back can be a sign of anxiety and nervousness. And that what's funny is um, if people want to practice this at home on their own, their own dogs, um, practice the holding the camera up in front of your eyes and then lower, lower it down just below your eyes so that you can still see, you know, if you want to, you can see the controls, you can see the cameras right there in front of your face. It's just not right in front of your eyes. What, what you'll notice when you raise it back up is the dog, the dog is looking at you. Their ears will fold back like a seal. <laughs> and then when you lower the camera, the ears will come back up. And then you put it back up in front of your eyes and the ears flatten back again. It might be the, literally the only thing that the dog is doing that's showing you I don't feel very comfortable. Because I can't see you. Because I go? can't. Yeah, I'd, 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 your face is a, turned into a black box, and that doesn't make any sense to me. That's really weird, and I kind of just want to run away now. So would um, that work with babies as well? If they can't see your face, they're not going to yeah. engage with you as well, right? Probably, probably. Yeah. So the key there, though, and this is the cha- this is the biggest challenge, is when you want to get shots of the dog looking into the camera, and you're not holding it in front of your eyes, but they're making eye contact with you, you need to redirect their focus to the lens. How do you right? do that? Because so I've that's... tried pointing to my dog when I, it's like your ball's over there. Go get it. And I point to the ball and he's looking at my face. No, it, <laughs> most dogs don't. Pointing means absolutely nothing to no, them. No, I know. So weird. You're like, you're like, it's right there. Yeah, you're look. Point, you're like dramatically pointing him, it's right there. How are you? Do-? And they're looking at you. They're looking yeah. over there. You're just like, really? <laughs> um, I just use anything that they're interested in, and I hold it over the camera. Yeah. Um, and so I know that you, for, for Sorry, baby- do you have those little um, things that go on the lens? Do you use those, or do you no, make sure that no. the owner has its squeaky toy or something that you can bring out last minute and go, ee, in front of the lens? Uh, oh my God, so funny that you say that because that just flashed me back to a commercial shoot that I had that um, there was this, there was one dog that's in the studio and the dog just would not look in our direction like to save our lives. And there were like three of us. There was me. We had like, I mean, we had like feather toys for this dog. There was someone who was squeaking a thing like right over my forehead. <laughs> there was just like all these people holding things over the lens of the camera, squeaking and making noise and movement to try to get the dog to look <laughs> to the camera lens. I think we got one, like one frame finally. Um, but anyway, I just visualized that little scene. Um, so yeah, I will usually be the one to hold it over the lens because I know exactly where I want the dog looking. Yeah. Um, yeah. You need to, you know, the the. I mean, one of the most important things in photographing animals is you have to have payment for them. Uh, you wouldn't expect a human talent to work for free. And no, I don't no. think you should expect a dog or a cat to work for free either. So you just have to figure out what that is. Is it a treat? Is it a toy? Is it affection? Is it your hand that's going to pet them? I don't know. What does that dog like? Um, or cat. Cats are a lot of cats are really hard to photograph, especially in commercial settings. Oh my God, that's, that's a whole other podcast right there. Um, so, you know, if they're interested in something squeaky, then you hold a little squeaky right above the lens. Wait, wait until you have their attention, squeak it. And then you might, may have time to get like one frame May two before they jump up and run or whatever. Um, so whatever it takes to get their literal focus to the lens and not your eyes. And it's challenging. It's tricky. 
And that comes down to the pre-meeting with the client. You'd be asking, um, okay, what does Fido like? Does he like his ears scratched or does he is he, you know, motivated by food or is it toys? And then you know what to do on the shoot, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's all the, the powers and the information that you have ahead of time, which makes it so much easier. And, and sometimes the client will help. You know, they'll say, hey, um, my dog really likes it if you do whatever. Um, or my dog really likes it if you, if you meow like a kitten yeah. and you go, Oh, great. And then you can try meowing like a kitten and the dog's like, what? And then they give you the really cute head tilt. Um, just what, with pet photography, it's whatever works. doesn't matter. Like you may pull out your whole bag of tricks, you know, with one dog to try and get one great photo. So um, how hard are you working to get that shot? So once you're lighting location, you've got your composition, right? How hard are you working to get that energy and that sparkly face or ears up or the, whatever it's the, the 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 shot entails? Because often it's you've got a child as well, right? You might have a child cuddling a dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've got to try yeah. and get the child who might, might be quite young and the dog all. Do, there's a lot of moving parts in this. Yes. Yes. The. One of the um, one of the things that I find really challenging on a commercial set is explaining to the my client when the dog is already checked out, and what I mean by that is they're done. It's yeah. like I'm over it. At the, from this point on, you're not going to get what you're hoping for. It's not going to happen. And is there a and window I, with dogs? Is it like a, there is there a yeah. time frame? What is it? Yeah, it depends on the individual animal, really. But if you're if you're working on the same shot for more than, I mean, again, it depends on the environment and the animal. But if you're if you're trying to force a shot for fifteen, twenty minutes, thirty minutes, and they're not allowed to like get up and leave or move, it's probably not going to happen. So it's like uh, working it, with a toddler, really. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, very much so. If you look at it like a dog is like a four-year-old, then yeah. that's perfect. That's a perfect yeah. analogy because they have the emotional maturity of a four-year-old. Um, so what I do is I just give them breaks. All right, you know, jump up, like change the energy. Let's go do some playing or tug of war or something, and change it up, and then kind of ease them back into it and go. All right, try again. Um, or I'll or I'll literally just have them stand up, turn them in a circle with a treat over their head, just like walk them around in a circle, walk them back into position have them in a down or, or lay down, stay, yeah. and then try it again. Um, it's just it's just forcing the animal to just stay there, not moving, not doing anything, no changes for a long period of time is really hard for a lot a lot of dogs. Yeah, that makes um, perfect sense. And are you yeah. constantly shooting uh, one hand? Are you on tripod? How does that work? And what is your preferred focal length or is it job dependent? It's all of those things are job dependent. Mm-hmm. Um, I've shot on, generally won't shoot on a tripod unless it's a studio and they're very specific static shots that have to be perfect. Yep. Like just everything has to be exactly the same from, you know, frame to frame to frame. Yep. I don't, I don't enjoy shooting on a tripod. I don't enjoy shooting in a studio for that matter. Mm-hmm. I prefer to be able to move around. I don't even like shooting tethered to the laptop, but I do, I have to for most shoots. Um, just cause I, I like movement. I like, I like dynamic shots, so I don't want to be restricted by anything. Um, and you know, as far as, as far as focal length, it really depends. Um, but generally I would say I am shooting handheld and, um, on a commercial photography set, 
I'm often not the one directing the dog's attention. It's the trainer. There's a dog right. trainer. I always have dog trainers on set. Right. Um, because I need them. I yes. really need them. Not just to get the dog's attention, but to bring them on and off the set and entertain them and, you know, put them in a, in a kennel if they're, if they're being um, crated or kenneled. Um, they have a big, important job to do. So, and I, I need them to do all that work because I can't, because I've got another model coming on set and I just don't have time to be, you know, wrangling, uh, wrangling the dog. So usually it's the dog trainer that's getting the dog's attention. Um, but uh, I mean, I've been in many situations before where I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, this is not working because the trainer doesn't understand what I need and I'm not able to explain it to them. Yeah. Like I, you know, we talked about this earlier. I'm pretty terrible at verbally explaining a shot that I can see in my mind. Right. I just don't have that skill that matches the words with the pictures in my head. Um, I can write, I'm a decent writer, yeah. but that part, just explaining, it's really hard for me to do. So I've been in situations where I'm like, well, I, okay, so this is what I'm trying to get. And I try and explain it three different ways. None of them work and I'm doing a terrible job. And I'm like, I'm just like, I'm sorry, but I'm about to take over and do your job. Which is not a good feeling because it can be disrespectful yes. to say like, you're kind of doing a crappy job. So just get out of the way know, that may do it. Get out of the way yeah. and let me take over. Yeah. But on a commercial shoot, you don't have the, the, you don't have the time or the money or the luxury of just, you know, taking your sweet time and, Oh, maybe this will work out. Maybe it won't. And I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings as you're there to get the job done. No matter what you have to do it. Um, which sometimes involves maybe hurting someone's feelings a bit. Yeah. So I've been in that situation with some dog trainers before, but again, that goes back to communication and having a meeting with them ahead of time. If you don't know them or haven't worked with them before and say, this is how I work. And I can explain like, these are the things I look for. And we talk about animal behavior and they, that's their, their deal. You know, they know animal behavior. And so I'll say it's really key to me to not have ears back. So we want to get the ears forward. You know how to do that. Um, or, I'll, or I'll even explain if the dog looks this way, the light's going to fall on their face and you see, you see where that light is and I'll explain it to them in the moment. And they go, Oh yeah, I see that. Okay, right. I, I can do that. I can give you that. No problem. It's just a matter of them understanding. So uh, it's all about communication. Fascinating. I could talk to you for hours, but like, we can't. We can't do it to each other. I know. Like, we've been going for a couple of hours, so we've, we, all the content has been absolute gold. I so appreciate you taking the time to explain everything in such great detail. I think everyone would have got so much out of this. So, where can people find you? And I know you've got lots of great blog posts uh, on your site, and I think it's just not just for pet photographers, but I think uh, all commercial photographers and even portrait photographers, there's so much great content uh, to be uh, gained from having a look at your site. So where can people find you, Jamie? Yeah, so if they want eye candy, which is photos, um, <sighs> they should go to cowbelly.com, which is my, my portrait site, and they can see my client list and, and kind of my story there and, and a whole bunch of galleries and uh, look in the behind the scenes gallery, which is really fun because there's a few hundred photos of like behind the scenes and, and pet shoots, which is always interesting. Yeah. Um, if they want to chat with me personally, um, I have a Facebook group for 
commercial photographers um, called the business of commercial photography. If I'm there, the business of commercial photography is right. what it's called. Um, I'm on there all the time. I spend way too much time on there. Yeah. It's free for anyone to join. Anyone can ask any question. No, there's no bad question on there. Um, so they can find me there. I am on Instagram and um, I have a Facebook page for um, my photography business, Cowbelly Photography, although admittedly I'm not using social media as much anymore for a wide variety of different reasons, primarily because I'm kind of lazy and I'm tired of it. Yeah. Um, but if they want to follow me, they certainly can. I'm not one of these people that like is trying to get, you know, a hundred thousand followers anywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's basically a portfolio site, the Facebook group, um, you know, if they want to chat kind of more personally and then the, um, commercial photography.guide website for educational resources. Fantastic. I'll have all those links in the show notes, Jamie. Uh, thank, awesome. thanks so much again. I just wish you continued success. It was great chatting. Thank you so much. Thanks for the time. And yeah, you're right. I love to talk, but I love helping people. So I really hope that that they got some nuggets of wisdom out of it. So oh. thank you, Gina. I appreciate it. Plenty. Thank you. Wow, there you go. What an awesome masterclass into pet photography. I think that um, Jamie's missing one or rather three very important things though. What's that? <laughs> They're called Rex, Rocky, and Groucho. Yes, so, you I'm should sorry, fly her over. Mm. You should fly her over to get your beautiful animals mm-hmm. on the cover of. Uh, and she mm-hmm. might be coming out to Australia. So we had we, we we actually continued talking for another hour after we we did that interview. Wow. And uh, hopefully she's coming out, and uh, we'll get to hang out, and uh, then I'll see if I can organise for her next uh, maybe pet food campaign that features. Your Rex. beautiful yeah, creatures. Yeah, because, you know, as you know, they're pre- they're like, it's like Rex and Rocky, such cute, adorable, br- you know, brothers. It's like living with the Hemsworth brothers. It's, 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 you know. I can see that, Val. I can see that in your cats. Mm. They do have a Hemsworth quality about them. Mm. And I've photographed the Hemsworths and uh, yeah. when I was photographing. And you photographed my cats. So. I photographed both and I said to the Hemsworth that I said, you are the Rex and Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> and they were flattered because they'd obviously heard about your cats. Yes, yes. Okay, so (laughs) that's the only thing missing from Jamie's portfolio, but apart from that, it's pretty fantastic. So I understand that Jamie has a special offer that's only available to the 25th of May for our listeners. What's that for? Yeah, so uh, if you go to Jamie's uh, website, which is uh, cowbelly.com and click on her resources section for photography, Photographers, she's got a heap, a heap of commercial photography contracts and release bundles. She's got a commercial animal photography bundle. There's commercial photography for small businesses, all the nitty gritty stuff that you need if you're getting started as a commercial photographer are there in her bundles. And she has generously offered uh, our listeners up until the 25th of May, a uh, if you enter the code GM25519, she will give you 25% off those bundles. And uh, th- that's a great deal. There's some so really that's good G- content. So that's GM, obviously the initials for Gina Militia, 
25519, which of course is the 25th of May, 2019. So GM25519. You can go to her website at cowbelly.com. Yes, cow, the thing that moves, and belly, the thing on your tummy, <laughs> cowbelly.com. Uh, as Gina mentioned, there are a bunch of different guides. The one that I think is really cool is the Commercial Animal Photography Bundle. And you will find in there, this is really quite handy, apart from a guide to commercial animal photography, you will find an animal model release. Yeah. <laughs> Very I wonder important. if they put a paw print or something. Oh yeah, the but like uh, here's the thing, Val. I yes. I predict in the next ten years that pet photography is only going to get bigger and bigger oh, and for bigger. Sure. And because mm-hmm. like the importance of uh, our pets in our families is, yes. has risen, but also you will notice now that um, many m- many uh, hotels and airlines, not in Australia yet, but definitely overseas, allow you to travel with your pets, stay with your pets, and it's becoming, uh, you know, just far higher up on everyone's, um, you know, radar. And also, obviously, pet photography is going to be – these hotels are going to need to do lifestyle shoots with pets in them, so commercial photography. So uh, great time to get into uh, animal photography. All right, fantastic. And that website again is cowbelly.com. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Where do we find you online, Gina? So you can find me at ginamilitia.com. That's G-I-N-A-M-I-L-I-C-I-A. I'm at Gina Militia on all social media, Instagram and Twitter is where I'm at most. And if you want to take your photography skills to the next level, I'd love the opportunity to work with you. Check out my goal community and you can find that at ginamilitia.com and click on join the community. What about you, Val? You can find me at ValerieKoo.com, that's K-H-O-O, and also at ValerieKoo on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit GinaMilitia.com.